This is the Rejoicing in the Word podcast, coming to you from the capital region of the Susquehanna Valley. My name is Josh Hamilton, and with me here today is Pastor Brandon Starnes, and we have a guest on the podcast with us today, Dave Loop. And so we just want to welcome you to the podcast. We'll introduce you here in a second. Um, We're thrilled to have him here with us for a missionary interview. This will be our second missionary that we're interviewing on the podcast, and we're excited. Before we go any farther, though, remember to check us out at svbcpa.org forward slash rwmin. That's our Facebook page. And remember, season two, we're doing giveaways. I saw a prototype, actually, guys. Saw a prototype of the coasters that were given away, the slate coasters, and they're pretty sharp. They're pretty sharp. So, are you putting your name in for drawing? (laughs) Well, I don't know. I'm still debating. Since you're drawing, that will be kind of. Yeah, I won't do that. All right. I'll keep myself. That's very nice of you to do that. So, I'm excited about those, and uh, we'll be doing the drawing at the end of the season. But everyone needs to know if you want to be in the drawing, go to facebook.com forward slash rwman, and you can follow us there and then message us your email address. Yeah. Also, the other way that we do it is you can go onto the church website, svbcpa.org, and you can go down to the bottom. It says, Contact Us. And down there in the contact, you can message us. Well, it comes through as an email to the church email address. And you'll put in your email address, and you'll put in your name, and then make sure you put in rejoicing in the word drawing. Otherwise, we might not know why you're sending us your information. But go ahead and do that. That's a good way for our listeners that perhaps aren't on Facebook, and you can be a part of the drawing. Another thing that we're going to be giving away is some volume sets of uh, devotional booklets. And so we're excited about those as well. But uh, as we begin here, let's get into introducing our special speaker. This season, particularly, we've been focusing on missions. And, uh, of course, for our church, we have a missionary conference uh, here in the middle of March. And so it's an exciting time for us, and we have a good slate of missionaries coming in. Um, one of those missionaries is coming in, one that we have supported for quite some time, is uh, the Loop family, Dave and Julie Loop, the daughter Jocelyn too, but Dave and Julie Loop to Portugal. And uh, I had the opportunity, we were talking about this a few moments ago, I was at Brother Dave's sending service, which would have been, I don't know, maybe in the fall or spring of 2001, 2000, or as some of the kids like to say, almost way back in the 1900s. That's right. Almost way back in the 1900s. And things were different then. Yes. And, uh, you know, there weren't as many cell phones and gas was cheaper and it was it was definitely the good old days. I mean, yes. that's what we will call it anyhow. Yes. But it's been exciting to see as he has labored some 21 years in Portugal and now having transitioned back to a ministry in the field. And before we really get into our theme, which is trials and triumphs of, of the mission field, I want to take a few moments and just let our audience get to know you a little bit. Of course, I've already told about Portugal and that you're transitioning here to, what was it, a field director? Yes, sir. For All Points Baptist Mission. Yes, sir. Uh, which is uh, under the Calvary Baptist Church there in New Philadelphia, Ohio. That's correct. And so such a wonderful thing. What are, what are your... Uh, kind of your descriptions of what you'll be doing there in this uh, in this position. Well, first and foremost, thank you very much for having me on your podcast today. Um, I have responsibilities as field director at All Points Baptist Mission include representing the mission. I'll be traveling stateside to represent uh, the mission, as well as recruit 
uh, new missionaries that we can assist. Also, I'll be coordinating our internship program that we just developed, and that would be for those who are seriously thinking of missions, and that would give them a firsthand experience of working alongside a missionary on the mission field for at least six weeks up to three months. Also, I'll be traveling to visit our missionaries twice a year to be a help and encouragement to them. And when I'm not traveling, they've asked me to help out in the mission office about two days out of the week. So those will be my responsibilities. So that's a pretty full slate. Now, you kind of put this uh, internship program together a little bit. Yes, sir. They've asked me since I uh, came back in July of last year to develop this internship program. Yes, sir. That's an exciting opportunity available. And you said those that were serious. That might be a Bible college student. It might be somebody in a church just really been praying about the uh, direction God's leading, give them really a, a legitimate taste. I know, Josh, you spent some time doing something similar like that. Yeah, so it's had a big, big impact in my life. And, um, you know, just how I view missions today. So, Oh, it makes a huge night. Is that something that someone would do before they became part of All Points Baptist Mission? Or what's the, where along someone's lines do they do that internship? Well, they wouldn't necessarily have to uh, be considering All Points Baptist Mission. Okay. But we just want to make that internship program available for those who are seriously considering missions. And just like you said, Josh, it's really a, uh, a beneficial program that I believe will do one of three things, or if not all three, all three things, excuse me. Uh, I believe it would uh, confirm God's call upon your life for missions. And secondly, I believe it will create a deeper burden for the lost. Mm, right. And then thirdly, uh, I believe it will cancel any doubt that you may have regarding missions. So I believe it will do. It will be a beneficial uh, program for those right. who consider missions. Give you a good view by which to see missions. Yes, that's fantastic. And that's kind of you. You've got set up missionaries that can take care of all of this. Yes, sir. That's fantastic. That's a great opportunity. I had an opportunity to spend just about two weeks. 10 days, um, and I was in Puerto Rico, and, and that had a tremendous impact. Yes. Uh, the timeline, that's an amazing thing. And all that works with seeing that the opportunity to facilitate folks uh, really that are serious about missions and having uh, a heart that God might be leading them in a specific direction. Yes, sir. So uh, with this and all in your travels, and not only, how many years were you on deputation? In the 1900s. In the 1900s. Uh, I, I thank the Lord. At that time, we were able to do our deputation under two years. That's fantastic. Yes, sir. That's fantastic. Was that a common thing at the time? or Actually, um, it was taking people a little bit over two years, but God was good to us, and we were able to do it under two years. But today, obviously, that has changed. It's taking missionaries much uh, longer to... Uh, to get their See support the to the to, to the field, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Just out of curiosity, what are most missionaries looking at today? I would say some missionaries are looking at somewhere between three and four years because I just read a recent statistic that says that the average amount given to a missionary is around seventy dollars a month. A month. Okay. So you look at a missionary that perhaps is going to Iceland where just rent is $3,500 a month, 
he would be someone that would have to raise at least $7,000 a month. So you look at that amount, $70 a month, how many churches he would need to be in. And I heard that right now, one out of three churches end up supporting a missionary. So, so if he needed $7,000 a month. Just to rent? No, that's to no, live in Iceland, yeah. right? But the rent alone was thirty five hundred. Yeah. So if he needed seven thousand dollars a month in personal support, yes, um, that's a hundred churches he needs to support him on average. Yes, and and if only one out of three take him on, he's going to have to get into three hundred churches. Yes, sir. And there's fifty two weeks in a year. That's right. Yes. Wow. It, it, that's a it, that's almost two solid years. Yes. Wow. Yes, sir. It's a labor. I'm sure that we could have a whole nother podcast really talking about lessons learned on the deputational field. Yes, sir. Um, you know, my wife and I, we did 13 months and we weren't raising in the same way. Uh, obviously, we're going to a foreign field, but there's so much that you consider with regards of traveling and um, the adjustments and the flexibility needed at various places. You're going to be housed from week to week. So I'm certain that there's a lot of trials there on the mission field. Raising your children. That portion of the mission field. Uh, Raising your children on the In the back seat. (laughs) In the back seat, nonetheless. (laughs) Yes. Well, as we're speaking about the mission field, um, we want to focus our time on trials and triumphs. Um, We're thinking a little bit uh, recently about 2 Timothy in the third chapter, and Paul's kind of signing off a little bit here. Uh, as he's preparing to meet the Lord in first chapter four, he's going to talk about, I'm ready. You know, I finished the, the, the race. But he says in, in to Timothy in, in chapter three in verses uh, 10 and 11 and following, he says, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, charity, and patience. Persecutions and afflictions which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me, yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And if we look at Paul as any gauge of a missionary, there's obviously a lot of trials and triumphs that he saw on his missionary endeavors as he sought to preach the gospel uh, to the regions beyond. And I, I wonder, just as we have this time with you today, were there some specific areas that you would say that you think that trials are common. Uh, obviously, you know, everyone has some type of trial that they're in going, but we're really focusing on our missionaries and directing as we see the trials that might be common among, you know, foreign missionaries, foreign church planning missionaries. Are there kind of some big bullet points that you would say uh, there are three or four or five specific areas? Yes, sir. Uh, before we talk about those, I would want our people to know that, the listeners to know that we're not here to say that the trials of missionaries are stronger than any other trials that other people face, but I would say that the challenge comes when those missionaries face those trials in a different culture, where people don't think the same way you think or talk the same way you think. So, hence the need for mm-hmm. the church to pray for missionaries as they face these trials in a different culture. So, and in, in, when we're talking about these trials, uh, we could also say that these trials can be, become, uh, evident spiritually, mm-hmm. um, emotionally, uh, physically at, 
even uh, these trials that missionaries face. We have one missionary that is right now laboring in Ukraine, right during the war, having missiles fall around him and and his apartment building shaking because of 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 missiles. So you know, missionaries face challenges, trials, even physically. So yes, there are some areas in which I think you know major areas that missionaries face in terms of trials and challenges. So cultural differences would be a major one to you. Uh, what yeah. others? Uh, cultural differences, I would say also discouragement, mm-hmm. um, loneliness, isolation is a very big one as well, spiritual battles. So these are some major areas that... Let's cycle back through them a little bit with cultural difference. What what? And obviously that is you know, at least from our perspective as being Americans, and I've always lived really in America, um, what are what are some cultural differences that, that you're aware of in a broad sense, and maybe even you've got a personal one you'd like to share? Well, obviously, cultural, culturally, we, we speak differently, obviously. You know, you, got, you have to Are you talking about now? You, we speak different, me and you, or? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> um, now, you know, when you go to a new a uh, new new country, new new culture, you see our our culture determines what feels normal to us, what's real to us. So when we go into a new culture, we're trying to process new experiences through our original cultural system, which has not yet learned how to mm-hmm. read the new cultural clues. So you're still trying to figure out how that culture operates, that country operates, and how they think, uh, why they do certain things. So um, it's really, in, in my thinking, a moment or a time of, of confusion and disorientation. What was once normal now is not normal. So you have to kind of um, learn how to to... To live in a new environment, uh, you have to learn where everything you need is even located. Where to us, it's normal to get in the car, you go to the grocery store, you know where things are. Mm-hmm. And so now you're in a place where none of that is normal. You, you have to relearn, okay, where's this? How do I pick that up? How do I even say what that is? So it's all new and you feel kind of confused. And with you, you not only had a different language, you had a different measuring system as well. Yes, a metric system, yes. So that, I'm sure, brought a number of challenges. Yes. As a matter of fact, just recently, uh, we were trying to measure something at the house. And all I had was my metric system roller. And so I went to the grocery store with the, 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 the length in metric system. And the meet and, and, and meters. And the guy said to me, why are you using meters? Why aren't you using inches? Well, that's all I had. Did you say you're not from around yeah, here? Right. <laughs> that's it. So, so, you know, even coming back to the States, I had to re, I have to readjust because things that was then normal like a year ago is now not normal to me here. A significant portion of your life there. Yes, sir. When, when, uh, kind of just moving a little bit, the cultural differences that you might would have as well, not only like, uh, foods and drinks and measuring and, uh, even the layout of homes is, was that something that you had to get used to? There in Portugal, uh, the homes are, um, built without heat. 
So we had no heat in the house. We had a fireplace which only heated that specific room. So our house was made out of tile. So houses in Portugal are made mostly out of tile and brick. So you think about this, if the temperature outside is 45 degrees, it's going to be 45 degrees in the house as mm -hmm. well. So we had to learn how to adjust to just the, the temperature, the environment in Portugal. When once you're there, you learn the language, you're obviously not right away transitioned into being Portuguese. Correct. So were there times where, you know, as you're witnessing, maybe even as you're preaching among the body of believers, there was there times where there was I don't know, some combativeness. You were like an hour, what, hour and 20 minutes from Fatima? So it's like a heavy, for those that may not know, you chime in here and explain what that is. But that significantly heavy Catholic area, you're coming from a different area were they just open? You can speak Portuguese now. Just come on, tell us. We're ready to listen. <laughs> no. Well, um, I would say that – I wouldn't say – excuse me. I wouldn't say that there was a combativeness. The people would be willing to talk about God in a general sense because they're very religious. Matter of fact, Portugal is one of the most religious countries in the world. Nearly 90% of the people claim to be Catholic there. Wow. So they they would be willing to talk about God in a general sense. It's not until you start talking to them about Jesus Christ being the only way to heaven, you kind of feel like the wall coming up. There's like a line that you cross. Yes. And you we're done talking now because I'm Catholic, I'm okay, and I have my religion. Okay. Mm -hmm. Important phrase that the Portuguese people use. I have my religion. I'm okay. So there wasn't so much like I would say like a persecution, but the wall came up when they, when we said, look, Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I'm wondering. I'm always just curious about this. You learn a new language. And then at what point did you get to the, because I'm imagining myself, say, we're learning a new language. I'd be able to go to the grocery store and I could manage there. I could maybe manage at the gas station. And then, you know, I'm reading, you know, maybe I'd be able to read my Bible next. And then where did, how long did it take? Or at what point did you feel like you were comfortable enough to, I mean, preach would be one thing, witness. I mean, you're fielding questions and then you're answering it from the Bible. It's not just going in, okay, I already know that I need a gallon of milk. So I'm going to, you know, I know what I'm going to say. Right. That's a good question. Um, I would say that it took me at least two years to kind of feel like I can speak Portuguese. I'm not saying I spoke it correctly, 100% grammatically correctly, but um, when I went to the field, I didn't know any Portuguese at all, except for a few, like three words. Okay. Because I was encouraged to learn the language with a national, which was the best way to learn the language. So it took me a while, and I was determined I'm going to learn this language, because, which is key and vital to mm. reach the people. You right. need to speak their language. So being there for three years, actually I was only there for a year and a half, the missionary that I went to work with to learn the language and get settled in before I went to my own area he went on deputation, excuse me, furlough. So I only had a year and a half of okay. language study before everything was placed in my lap, the ministry. 
So it really pushed me to learn the language. Now, I may have read my message, the first message. Sure. And maybe the message was only 10 minutes long because I read it word for word because I didn't feel comfortable to walk away from my notes and speak right. with boldness, excuse me, the language. So, and I always felt that even after 21 years on the field, I was still learning the language. Sure. But yes, there was a point, I would say like around two, three years that I kind of felt more comfortable with the language. I can go out even though I made mistakes and ask where things were and how do you say this. But for me personally, I learned the language better by experience, going out, talking to the people, making the mistakes. That's how I learned it more, you know, and better that way. Right, right. It was just always something that interested me. Like, where do you, what's the point? <laughs> so, yes. like, putting together a message as you're preparing for Portuguese, was there any trouble going backwards? Going, you know, if you were to come here on furlough, was there any problem kind of revert? I mean, you've put you're 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 speaking every week, a couple times a week. You're you're putting everything together in Portuguese, and then I mean, you just have a button, you flip. How does this work? That's a good question. Um, I wish that button would exist where I can just turn off English and, you know, turn on the Portuguese. But, um, yes, I think it becomes more challenging the longer they're on the field. So being on the field for 21 years, coming back now to the States, I find myself, even though English is my native lang- language, I, I still kind of have to think a little bit before I speak which is what I had to do in Port- Portugal in the, in the beginning, mm-hmm. right? Because in my brain, I'm thinking English, trying to translate that into Portuguese before it came out of my mouth. Wow. So now it's kind of reversed at times when even today, I'm still sometimes looking for the English word, but the Portuguese word is in my brain. <laughs> That's a, I, I just really... I, my heart goes out to you, but I don't understand. <laughs> that's a, that's a whole other thing there. So that that cultural distinctiveness differences is a major can be a major trial. How long? I mean, you were talking just a moment ago about two three years before you felt pretty fluid and the ability to maybe walk off from your notes. How long until you felt Portugal was home and where you're at is just it, your schedule that maybe you just looked back one day and thought. I I feel like I used to feel when I was in uh, in America. Uh, good question. I obviously in the, in the beginning we didn't feel like that, sure. but um, I would say I, honestly I don't know if there I can say there was a this was the moment. But obviously, the longer you live there, you you're becoming almost like them mm-hmm. per se, and you. You feel comfortable, like, okay, this is where I live. This is my home. But I, I can't tell you a, cer- a certain moment in time. But, of course, obviously, the longer you live there, you're becoming more comfor- comfortable. And you even start to think like the Portuguese people. And to the point where when I come back on furlough, my wife would have to remind me, now remember, we're not in Portugal. We're in the States. <laughs> Uh, so what what is another area of trials that they might have? I mean, uh, I know one that we have talked about off and on has has been maybe like discouragement. Yes, that's a big one as well. And 
discouragement can come in different different forms. Um, there was a survey done in 2019 of 40,000 missionaries and 600 mission agencies that revealed that 43% of missionaries uh, did not fulfill their long-term commitment to uh, their field because of discouragement. Wow, that is a very high number. That almost sounds like it's one of the chief causes. Yes, it could be. And uh, just speaking of Europe, since that's where I ministered, uh, they say that Europe has traditionally been known as the graveyard of missionaries. And I think it's due to the lack of the European people that has caused much discouragement uh, among the missionaries that, that lead them to quit. And it's, it's so hard. Like I, I was sharing with you earlier, it took me seven years to see my first convert. Mm, wow. So it can be discouraging. But, and I mentioned this earlier when we were talking before the podcast, it's going to take you to go through a trial in order to see the victory. Right. And we look at the Apostle Paul as a missionary and how much persecution and trials and even, I'm sure, discouragement that he faced. But he saw also the victory, which, you know, it, it's it's a blessing to see those victories as well. So you're saying in your case, perhaps the trial was the discouragement of not seeing a convert for six and a half years, seven years, and then the triumph was seeing that person saved. Yes. And, you know, there in Europe, when, where you, excuse me, in Portugal, where you see the country so steeped into Catholicism, where people make pilgrimages to the city of Fatima, like Pastor was referring to, a, 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 a city where they believe Mary, the mother of Jesus, appeared three times in one year to three young children, given, giving them uh, certain prophecies. And on those specific dates, they have pilgrimages that they, they make where people walk for miles from their hometown to the city of Fatima. Once they reach the city of Fatima, they have this long sidewalk, I would say about 50 yards, where they get on their knees and crawl to this chapel area that is dedicated to this, to, to Mary, where she's in this, um, glass case. Once they reach this chapel, they crawl around that chapel seven times before entering into the chapel the whole time saying the rosary. And you, you see the dedication to Mary. She is the emphasis, not the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, when you see that 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 um, staunchness, I'm not sure if that's even a yeah. word exists, but oh, yeah. uh, in in Catholicism, and and you're trying to tell them the truth, and and you, you feel like they're not getting it, you know, right. year after year after year, and that can be discouraging. Sure, the lack of interest you know, among the European people. What's another area? Discouragement, cultural differences. Uh, does that, I mean, it seems like 
to, to have a, a little bit of resistance to the truth that is prevalent, as was in that case, and others as well. And the culture difference is loneliness. Loneliness is also a very big um, trial that missionaries uh, face. And uh, you you kind of feel like an outsider. You're going into a country that's not familiar to you. And when you come, when you enter that country and you begin to teach them biblical truth that they have not heard perhaps for hundreds of years and they look at you and, and they, they make you feel like, who are you to tell us that what we've done for hundreds of years is wrong? So you begin to feel lonely, like you're the only one. And, um, so when I went to the field in, in 2001, we didn't have Skype. We didn't have <laughs> Facebook or Twitter or anything like that to where we can quickly communicate with people back home who, um, who are the same faith, let's say it that way. And we had to wait until after 9 p.m. to make a phone call, hoping that when we call our family, our friend in the States, they were there at that time because of the time difference. Right. And so um, we have missionaries, even through our mission, that have gone through what we would say isolation, feeling isolated. Uh, we have a missionary that is actually a pioneer missionary to a country where he is the first and only Baptist missionary. And the stories that he has told us that he has faced, uh, his wife going there when she was, I think, seven or eight months pregnant, having to go have her baby by herself, hours away from where they were living. And, and, and the loneliness and the isolation that she felt, you couldn't have your husband by your side. And so missionary isolation is real, you know, and missionaries go through that. And so, um, so a lot of, sounds like a lot of, or so there's not a lot of support close by. Correct. Yes. That, that in and of itself could even be a danger. Yes. In some regards, you know, and of course, anytime we get that aperture in our life that we especially brought on by discouragement, expectations, you know, you hear a lot on this side of the ocean about burnout, yes. uh, you know, and engaging and engaging. And and the truth is, I think sometimes a weightier portion of that is when we've put expectations on what we think ought to occur. Correct. And we have no power to make those come about. Uh, I mean, I don't... I. I can go out and knock doors and I can witness and, and this, but at the end of the day, I have not found a way to actually make someone become a genuine child of God. And looking back, you know, after year one or year two or year three or year four, what, what point do I begin to give in to that expectation that I'm a failure? And pressing on, you saw some fruit. Yes. And that, that fruit remains as well. Praise the Lord. Um, I, you know, what I want to do is maybe follow this up with another podcast. Because uh, we'd, we'd like to get you to hang around if we can and, and talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what what other believers, particularly I'm talking about supporting churches, 
Uh, is there anything the individual missionary kind of need their mindset needs to be having? And of course, lest we forget, it is trials and triumphs. And triumphs. So we want to want to deal with those. But just kind of to draw this to a close, I, I think a little bit back to our past, which we read earlier. Paul's talking about his persecutions. He's talking about his afflictions, which which kind of has with it that emotional type side. He makes this statement. He said, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me. And there is a promise that regardless of the difficulty, if we're in the way that God has led us, there is victory. Uh, He's provided the victory over death and the grave. And surely, surely, He'll deliver us out of any difficult trial that may occur. And that surely has to believe be the missionary's mindset in these matters. Amen. Brother Josh, why don't you sign us off for today and give us that word for today? Sure. Our word for the day comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. This is speaking about our salvation through Jesus Christ. The word of God says this, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. And we know there that that was Paul speaking. But what a wonderful thing, our salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, who's the light to all the world. And with that, we want to thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and join us for part two. We want you to be able to hear the rest of this. Very interesting, very informative. And I'm looking forward to the part two myself. So with that, thank you for listening. Join us next time.